Welcome to Hoopsology. My name is Justin Goodrum, and along with Matt Thomas, our goal is to bring you quality basketball content from all over the hoops world. Before we jump into the show, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast to receive our latest episodes from journalists, authors, athletes from all over the basketball world. If you have a comment or question, please email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Now enjoy the show. He is known as the king of NBA Twitter, and he is the co-host of No Chill with Gilmore Arenas. We welcome Josiah Johnson onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Josiah? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on to the show. And um, myself and my co-host, Matt, huge fan of your content on Twitter and everything you're doing with the NBA. And with a lot of our guests, we usually kind of ask icebreaker question usually ask, what is your favorite basketball memory or your first basketball memory that comes to mind? Uh, first basketball memory, actually, uh, I believe it was like 1986, if I'm not mistaken, All-Star uh, Weekend. My dad played in the NBA. He played with the Clippers. He went to the All-Star game. Uh, it was in Dallas. He came back from the airport. We picked him up at LAX, and he had a big, uh, like, Nerf hoop for me. And uh, that was the first hoop I ever had. I remember it came with, like, a little janky orange, like, styrofoam, like, foamy ball or whatever, and literally played with that ball so much, it literally, like, broke in half because it just, like, ripped through. But we kept – there was, like, holes and divots in it. We kept playing with it, and we just, you know, would adjust our shots. But I remember seeing him at, at LAX holding this, you know, big box with the hoop in it. And this was back in the day, obviously, when, uh you know, it wasn't like you can just order it on Amazon or things like that. So you definitely he, – he brought that with him all the way from Dallas. So – that was my first kind of foray into basketball, and I'll never forget that moment just seeing him at the airport holding that hoop. And I used that hoop for a, for a, a, a large part of my youth, and uh, sad sad to see it go. But we, we definitely put a lot of work in on it. Me and my my older brother, uh, you know, used to go one on one, head to head on it all the time. So so loved loved that Nerf hoop back in the day. So what was your relationship with your your father like? Him being an NBA pro, and then kind of seeing just the way the league has evolved since you know you were. A, you know, you're a kid, what kind of things that he's kind of taught to you from this actually playing to the leagues to what he's seeing now, what conversations you're having in terms of how the league has evolved over time. So he was playing during the seventies, eighties, obviously a lot more physical game, not as much technology. So, you know, when guys would get hurt back then, you know, it was definitely devastating. And there was a lot of injuries back then that, that happened. Now the guys are back in nine to 12 months, which is pretty insane thinking about back then, those were more or less career enders. So, when I was really young, my dad actually got hurt playing against the Mavs, uh, coincidentally, but ended up hurting his neck and missed a significant amount of time. So I don't really have a lot of memories from from that phase. I was like three, four years old, but he made a comeback in 1989 with the Golden State Warriors, uh, and I was seven years old at that time. And just remember moving to Alameda in, in the Bay, and he was uh, you know there for training camp and seeing guys like Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen. And Chris just really taken a, a liking to me and my brother. We were in the same gated community. I think Chris was expecting his first child at that point. He was probably like 25, 26 years old around then. But, you know, the star of the team, the guy in the city. But Chris used to take me and my older brother, Chris, up to – whose name is also Chris, like Chris Mullen. But he used to take us up to uh, what is now Oracle Arena. It was the Coliseum back then, and he had the key to it. So he'd open the key. We'd go – late at night, eight, nine o'clock, go just shag rebounds for him and hang out. So just those experiences. But my dad really just kind of stressed us that, you know, he wanted us to, to obviously play basketball, but to never feel like we had to, to uh, you know, attain the level of success that he attained. Obviously, he was a five-time All-Star, pro, uh, Naismith uh, Pro Basketball Hall of Fame finalist. So that's a hard a hard thing to get. That's what you see a lot of times. You know, Bronny's kind of one of the exceptions in terms of kids' sons, the Sharif O'Neal, another, yeah. who have gone on to, to do to do bigger things. But you know, just just always wanted us to be our own men, encouraged us to have a bunch of different hobbies and activities and interests. He was a theater arts major at UCLA, so he was he used to host a show that used to run on campus, and that was a part of his curriculum. 
but kind of always thinking outside of the box in terms of just how we approach life and how we approach everything and being in LA and being around the entertainment world and all those good things and having so many opportunities. So he was always just, you know, stress basketball. Obviously we're going to work hard. We're going to do a lot of stuff. And he was definitely ahead of his time to see the game where it is then versus now, obviously the talent players are bigger, stronger. I'd say they're a lot more talented just because there's a lot more guys getting exposed to the level of has decreased so much in the past 15, 20 years with the growth of the game globally. So See, it's funny back in the day when 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 the guy was a European or or international player coming in, like Manu Bowles of the world, you know, they weren't you know, they weren't they weren't like Giannis nowadays where they're winning MVPs and just dominating the league. You know, you started to see a little bit of that back then, but now, you know, some of those guys, Giannis and and uh, Luca and names like that, are just as household as Steph, uh, KD, and Bron. So it's amazing to see just the way the game has exploded internationally, how good guys are, and how serious people take it all around the world. When I was little in 8990, uh, he got cut from the Warriors. He actually uh, finished his career out in Italy in a city called Udine. And we uh, moved out there as a family. And I remember as a seven, eight-year-old playing with like the 11 and under team out there. <laughs> and, there were, you know, a lot of guys did that. Kobe and a lot of people had parents that were playing overseas at that point sure. and kind of were birthed in that European style. But it was really intense even back then. So just to see the way the game has grown and evolved, it's really amazing to see. My dad works for the Bucks now with Giannis and that whole crew. So he was just – part of that championship run with that squad. So just to see, you know, him now playing in Milwaukee, going back there as a color commentator, you know, being able to celebrate and take part in the championship and just all his contribution to the game as well have been tremendous. So you brought up the international portion of the game, and it, I think it's almost a foregone conclusion that within the next couple of years, Luca is probably going to be the best player in the league. Do you, how do you feel within, you know, maybe not only him, you know, winning MVP, but we know we've seen Giannis, but – as we progress and see more international players with a higher level of talent, is there, is there a possibility of, you know, international talent being the best players in the league outnumbering the American players? Do you foresee that happening? I'd say in the next, you know, 20, 30 years, that's definitely a possibility. You'd hope that, you know, American youth organization, the basketball and AAU is solid. A lot of us came up in that. But now it feels like they just need a lot more organization and structure. You're seeing that now with the G League igniting other leagues that are popping up that are really working on development, even LeVar Ball, his JBA League, which lasted, I believe, for a season or two. But really focusing in on development and grabbing early. The thing about a guy like Luca, which I stress, and like Luca was going to be an amazing talent no matter what. When he's 14, 15 years old, he's getting introduced to the pro circuit. He's leaving his home in Slovenia to go play in Italy and go play in other places where he's going up against 17, 18-year-olds, grown men, playing on the senior team, I believe, as a 17, 18-year-old, yeah. and just getting that experience, though. And look, that's not for every guy. A lot of guys would get mentally broken and defeated in those situations. So Luca is definitely an anomaly. But I think if we instituted that just more organized structure with players in America, we would be able to combat it. Obviously, we're, we're one country. There's, what, 300, 400 countries around the world. So all of these countries, basketball, basketball is such a global game. And I want to say over a billion fans and people playing it collectively. So you're going to see people that rise up from all these different countries, different worlds. Obviously, Africa has been a, a hotbed and a hotspot for a lot of premier talent. So it's, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see the game grow into a level that's similar to soccer. I'm a, a reasonable size soccer fan. Like I said, I'm the biggest soccer fan in the world, but I definitely appreciate the international component of that and guys on teams from 10, 12 different countries that all speak different languages but kind of know how to play with each other. And it's kind of just the game is a unifying force. So to see that in the NBA is going to be really special and exciting. And the talent level is just going to continue increasing. I mean, we're seeing guys like Kevin Durant at seven foot one doing the things he's doing back in the day. If he's that height trying to bring the ball up the court and, and <laughs> do hezzies and things like that, you know, coaches are yelling at him, telling him to get in the post. So a lot of it too, is just the mentality of just kind of coaching 
in America and how that's evolved. But these guys put in so much work on the, the forward and the guard level, just perfecting their skills and their craft. So it's exciting to see. I think, you know, we're not going to go down without a fight. Obviously, this Olympic team just showed us this summer that, you know, they lost a couple of tough ones early in the exhibition rounds. But once it got hot and heavy in the tournament, you know, it, it was time to put in work. And these guys came through with the gold and definitely wanted to remind everyone while they're drinking their Lobos uh, tequila that that they still <laughs> run things. So not not quite there yet. But the next I think what we've seen the last 20 years to now versus what's going to happen from now in the next 20 years is going to be a phenomenal explosion of the game and just the growth of basketball internationally. So I want to shift gears to yourself on Twitter. And I just find it amazing all the tweets you're able to come up with because I struggle with just a tweet of my own and being creative. I'm like, how does this guy does do this? Because I just trying to be witty and funny is just not in my skill set at all. So I, I just want, kind of wanted to ask you from when you first started to gain notoriety for your tweets to now, what has been the evolution on Twitter specifically that you've noticed within kind of the NBA world in terms of just players noticing your tweets to just reactions online and just overall how social media has affected the NBA overall? Well, I think just in general, when you're looking at social, it's just been an explosion. You're talking about Twitter, which came around out in like 2008. You know, I think about like the, the lockout in 2011 and just the impact that had with all the summer games that were popping up and guys showing up everywhere and how Twitter was very, very instrumental in that and kind of the foundation for NBA Twitter. So just to see the way that the NBA Twitter community has now grown back in the day, you know, you had a lot of beat writers and th those were the people who were kind of the voice of the team. They would follow the team everywhere. But now you're getting all these individual personalities amongst all these different NBA Twitter communities. So you got Warriors Twitter, you got Lakers Twitter, Clippers Twitter, Celtics Twitter, Grizzlies Twitter, all these different factions and additional national Twitter people like myself that kind of operate in different buckets. It's just, it's an, it's a great thing for me to see. Like I'm doing a lot of on-air stuff. Obviously you mentioned I'm co-hosting the show with Gil. I got a show on Wave TV called Out of Pocket that I'm also co host You're seeing a lot of rise for people like myself for being able to show the talent they have that may not have fit in a traditional box in a traditional world and may not be able to get the opportunities that they had, you know, in years prior. But now with just this growth of social and the explosion of it, and for me, it was it was a learned trade. I'm, I'm I'm 39 years old, so I had a lot of opportunity to learn and grow, and I've seen a lot of different stuff. I'm kind of part of that technology age, like you know, we were the first group that was on on MySpace and Facebook, and kind of the early incarnation of social media, learning the rules and regulations, the do's and don'ts, and all that good stuff. So now we're a lot more seasoned than a lot of these kind of you know younger generation people that come in now are starting to use these platforms. But at the end of the day, I think it's amazing to be able to connect with a guy like LeBron James via social media, you know, to have him see something that that I like. And, you know, again, just in years past, that that would have never been possible. It would have never been possible for me to be able to get a connection with LeBron unless, you know, I went to a Laker game or Spring Hill or, or uninterrupted or one of his companies and he might have happened to be there. So the, the avenues and the lanes that it's opened up for myself as well as other people, it's great for me to see. It's refreshing just to see all these talented individuals, people like yourself, like, you know, Trying to do this 10, 15, 20 years ago would have been significantly harder than it is now. Now it's just an email. We figure out a time up on StreamYard and we get it going. Back in the day, hey, we got to coordinate how we're going to even do it. If I could do it, I mean, are we going to go to a radio station? Am I going like, how are we going to get this going? So just the, the, the technological age, just the, the advent of technology and the revolution on that side has really helped foster a community in a world where everyone can now get in touch with each other. It doesn't matter if you're overseas, you're in America, you're in L.A., whatever it may be, you're, you're literally a tweet away, a DM away, an email away from connecting with anybody. So I've just been able to leverage that, take advantage of that, and just try and consistently put out content that people gravitate towards. I like to say, like, I can get into these, you know, the big, you know, NBA debates and the PER and the analytics and all that great stuff. I just really don't care to do all that. I find you just waste a lot of time debating people who you'll never really meet 
and ultimately what's the prize for that. So I try to keep the mood light, make people laugh. And I definitely have a, a lot more respect. I feel like when I first started in social, like a lot of people, I grew up in the YouTube era where people would say outlandish, crazy stuff to each other. And there was no real accountability. And you could you could hide behind an account and not have to worry about anybody finding you. So I'll let everybody know everything that comes from my account is coming from me. I try to be open and transparent about it. But now having guys, those type of people following me, I definitely have to approach social media differently, be a lot more respectful. And I think it's made me also just realize that I deal with a lot of the same similar mental health issues that a lot of those guys deal with in terms of troll and the negativity and bitterness of people on the platform, which is only natural as your, you know, your star power, your success starts to rise. But it's nice and refreshing uh, to me to be able to just approach things and know that, you know, Trey Young's dad's following me. So if I'd make a trade joke, I got to do it in good taste. But now Trey's looking at it in the locker room after the game and he's laughing about it. Or, you know, LeBron's seeing something. Like I put up a video of Colin Kaepernick the other day, just his highlights, just to remind yeah. people how amazing of a football player he was. And LeBron sees that and That's concurs right. and, you know, gives Cap a shout out. So it just situations like that for me are just amazing. And there's a lot of negativity on social, but there's a ton of positive. So I just try to focus on the positive and not really ever kind of stoop to that level of negativity because that stuff will wear on you. And it'll really it'll really ultimately ruin your life, ruin your mental health. So just stay on the path of just try to be on the path of greatness, stay on the path of success and just always stay positive and keep that positive energy flowing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think players sometimes get misrepresentative as being too sensitive when, you know, they're taking a lot of hate. I mean, anybody would be pissed off if they saw half the things those guys see on like a second by second basis. But if they're approached with humor and just humility and just something that's funny, I think they're going to find it funny too, because they're in that NBA spirit and understand the joke what's going on. So I, sometimes I think, you know, especially athletes in the NBA, they get a bad rap of just being too touchy or be too sensitive because I think, you know, like yourself, you're, you're coming up with great content. I think they respond to that in a positive manner. I just think usually it's just they, it's the amount of hate they take on just a daily basis. I just think it's for a normal, this fan, they probably would crumble fairly easily. So definitely a lot of that, that, that they can give it, but they can't take it. So that's the thing yeah. you see a lot too. You got these troll accounts and it's funny. They're a troll account. Nobody knows who they are, but just even see them getting sensitive sometimes when they end up on the wrong side of something or somebody claps back at them or responds back. And it's like, bro, nobody knows who you are. And you're trying to show emotion and you're trying to humanize yourself. It's like, you, you made that choice to hide behind this account. And that's the thing with me. It's just like, you know, death threats, ratio, cringe, all that type of negativity. I'm so used to it now that it's literally, I'm just Teflon with that stuff. And I almost kind of embrace it. It lets me know to keep going and to keep making quality content. So I want to talk to you about NBA media day. And I noticed this was a little bit, diff a little bit of a different media day because, because of the pandemic and what's going on. What did you notice from player reactions in terms of how they handled this, the vaccine question and their overall vibe that you've noticed from all the teams, this you trying to just, you know, stay up on what's happening news wise within the league. What do you get the players vibe is in, in terms of entering the season? I think guys need to uh, first and foremost understand what, what HIPAA is and what a HIPAA violation is. It's kind of like tampering, like, right? Like teams can do it. Doctors can do it. Like it's not, it's not a HIPAA violation. If you tell your own personal business, I think, the vaccine thing has been super polarizing. It's been very disappointing to me. I think, you know, the league is, what, 90% vaccinated, according to Michelle Roberts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's. I think these a lot of these guys, and it's unfortunate because the media definitely will highlight negativity and they know they can get clicks off of the guys who aren't vaccinated and kind of going at them instead of elevating and really promoting the guys who are. But at the end of the day, these guys are role models. People look up to them. People go to them 
and believe in them for better or for worse. You know, Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model back in the day, but that's BS. Like you are. And that's just what it is. Like kids look up to you. So they're going to follow your lead in a lot of situations. So I think to see a team like the Lakers that's going to be 100 percent vaccinated by the time the season starts is a is is definitely laying the foundation, laying the path that other people should follow. It's tough when you see a lot of people, hey, I'm doing research. I'm doing my own this, my own that. Like, okay, so. You know, you go to the hospital for anything else, you're taking the doctor's word for it. You're not sitting there arguing or going to YouTube University. Hey, I don't know if, if you put this on my leg or, hey, if I got cancer, you can't get me because I don't know what's in it. You know, we, we deal with these situations all the time. And I understand being a black person in America, especially with the things that have gone on previously, historically, there's definitely some cause for concern. But as other people who were smarter than me have pointed out, you know, all the rich people were taking the vaccine first. So if it was <laughs> if it was a situation where, you know, all the billionaires and all the politicians, right. all those people got the vaccine first and then it kind of trickled down. So if it was going the other way and it was like, hey, poor people, you go first and see how this thing works, you know, then 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 there'll be some cause for concern. But I think everything we've seen with the research and the data and just you know, like Kareem said the other day, uh, you know, you have to not be selfish. And even if you you will recover from the virus easily than somebody else, don't put your, your teammates, don't put your, you know, your franchise coaches, other people that work there at risk. We've seen a lot of death over the past 18 months. So I think it would, should be a wake up call to people where even if it's not going to affect you, don't be selfish and greedy and just help out. You know, I, I was hoping that when this thing first started, people would rally behind each other and it really be a unifying situation, you know, like kind of like 9-11, where when that happened, you know, for, for some parts of the world, obviously, for people from the Middle East, it probably wasn't as great of an experience. I'll just say that. But, yeah. you know, for some level, there was some unification and unity and racism. People who didn't traditionally get along with each other kind of let bygones be bygones for a little bit. But we really haven't seen that now. It's just been super polarizing, separated into a, a, a shouting match. And it's like, look, Anthony Fauci, whether you disagree, love him, hate him, whatever. Uh, he's a virologist. He's been through numerous presidencies. He's done this for a long time. So questioning him is like trying to question Phil Jackson on coaching or the triangle. It just doesn't really make any sense. Like, oh, Phil, I saw on YouTube that you could do this. Like, I mean, look, I got nine rings, brother. Like, I get it. <laughs> 11 yeah. rings, whatever he's got, you know, <laughs> like there's not anything you're going to really tell me about the triangle. But you meet a lot of people, especially in social, you see a lot where they think they know everything. And, hey, well, I researched this and this, that, whatever. Right. That's why I love working with somebody like Gil, who is such a hoops head, but has actually played at such a high level that when you see things come up, he, he's just quick on his toes and he can present it from a situation from experience. Somebody who's been there. And I always say, like, look, I played college, but I didn't play in the NBA. So if I'm dealing with Gil and Gil Barron and Gil and Matt or Gil and CP3 having convos, I'm going to ask questions as if I'm a layman, like trying to in insert myself. I'm never going to be like, oh, I know, too, because I haven't yeah. played not one game in the NBA, been to one training camp, any of these type of things. So I feel like, you know, just to respect these guys is, is definitely important. But also we're giving these guys a platform to, to tell the world what's going on and why they're choosing the decision they're making and the answer they're giving are frankly terrible so if it's hot boo-boo then you open yourself up to criticism that's you know that's how it works for sure and from a basketball perspective in, in particular with Kyrie Irving I think it's interesting how yes he is being vilified at the same time from a on-court perspective he wasn't on the court last season and if it was for Kevin Durant's putting his foot on the line, they probably would have won the NBA title, arguably. So I just, at the end of the day, from a basketball perspective, I mean, the Nets are so loaded that I don't necessarily think it's, you know, a massive deal, you know, in terms of how the continuity is in regards to the Nets actually, you know, winning the championship. But I want to ask you from a Lakers perspective in particular, you know, six Hall of Famers on that team, you're a big Lakers fan following, you know, what that squad is doing. Are you in the camp of it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be in the NBA finals, or do you think the West is going to cause some problems for them? 
I mean, if they had this roster five, six years ago, foregone conclusion, I don't think anybody's beating. They're probably going like 77 and five and, you know, 16 and 0. They might drop a game in the postseason just on a fluke. But this is, you know, we got to remember, you know, LeBron's entering year 19. He's going to be 37, I believe, in December. Uh, Carmelo's, you know, on the tail end of his career. Trevor Reza, who's a guy I played with at UCLA. Shit, I'm 39. Trevor's like 35. So he's old. Like, these guys are old. So I think, you know, this roster was built with the, with hopefully the thought. And this is what I said last year. Don't need to see LeBron playing more than like 50 games during the regular season. Same with AD, just kind of pace it out. Know that you got, you know, AD's running the five now. You've got Dwight Howard and come off the bench, DeAndre Jordan, guys who can play and give solid minutes and pick up the slack. I think Dwight was instrumental on that championship team in the uh, bubble during the pandemic. I was definitely sad to see him go to Philly. I said at that point, it just, you know, him and Danny Green, I, I think, got a lot of – Danny got a lot of kind of negativity towards the end of the finals, but just what he brought defensively and, and what he contributed to the team. Same with Dwight. Dwight was punk and joker, if we're being real. Like, there's not really a big that Dwight goes up against that he can't get in the head of. Bam, whoever, you know, and that's what you want from him because he keeps his body well. And he's older too, but these guys are old, so I think it's not a foregone conclusion. We saw last year the Lakers were about to go up 3-1 on the Suns. AD gets hurt. Uh, the, the series is done. You know, they, they get knocked down the first round. So – Anything can happen in this sport, and you want to make sure that these guys stay healthy. You know, I know LeBron is chasing Kareem in the points record, but I also feel like LeBron is intelligent. He knows he's got a few years left, so he can really pace it. And I, like I said, don't want to see 50 games from any of the, from Leonard AD. Let Russ pick up the slack, play that 70 if you want, and kind of, you know, you know, it'll give guys a lot of opportunities to still be able to get their stats and get the things that they're looking for and also play team ball. But when this squad comes together, come playoff time, they got to be ready just to make that run. And they've played two seasons in the span of what, you know, like it's funny, like we're not even at the anniversary of the Lakers winning the championship in the bubble yet. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And they've already knocked out another season in in that time frame. So it really, these guys taking care of their bodies, staying fresh. And, you know, the Lakers, as long as the Lakers make the playoffs, I'd say they avoid any of the seven through 10 playing stuff, six, six or better is probably what they're shooting for. But as long as they're in that range, they don't have really much to worry about. I feel like that team is healthy going into playoffs. They're going to perform very well. What is the dynamic of Westbrook, Rondo, and LeBron specifically? What do you think is going to happen there? That's a very interesting mix. A lot of experience, but it's kind of like it can go either way in my opinion, but maybe I'm being too negative. Do you think, I mean, these are arguably one of the, three most smartest basketball minds in the league. But at the same time, you have egos and, you know, everybody's got to get theirs at some point. So how do you think that's going to mesh together? Well, the thing about Russ, and I feel like Russ gets a bad rap. The UCLA guy, I'm friends with Russ. I remember, you know, just how hard he works. You hear about the stories of Russ growing up in LA and just the type of man he is. I think he got a really a negative rap when he was playing with KD. But Russ with OKC, with, with a depleted squad, still putting up triple doubles. Russ with the Wizards. Early on in that season, we were getting the jokes off, letting them fly. There was Nobody thought that team was going to make the playoffs. And here they are. They make a run towards the end of the season. So I think Russ is a great complimentary player. Russ is also getting older in age. Russ loves Kobe Bryant, right? Has that mama mentality. Kobe is Russ's favorite player. Coming to the Lakers for him is a dream come true. I think he's going to do whatever in his power to make that work. And he's playing with guys like LeBron and AD. So it's a lot harder to get mad at those type of guys and those caliber players that have that IQ that you mentioned. Obviously, Russ and Rondo have had some situations in the past. But like anything, it's like Kobe, you know, Kobe and Matt Barnes, when Matt you know, hit him with the ball, you gain a level of respect for those guys who will check you and test you, and you know that will always keep it real with you, right? They don't have any interest to not do that. So it's not any buddy-buddy stuff. They're trying to go at you. Guys are competing for a minute. So LeBron was way too ball-dominant the past few years. 
and I get it. That's kind of his style, and that's how he initiates the offense. He runs that point guard, point forward, but really a point guard type of role in terms of offensively and, and initiating the offense and, and getting things moving. But now LeBron will have the ability to actually rest in game as well as Russ can handle a lot of that facilitate. Now Russ gets the rebound. He can bring it up, initiate the offense in those situations. Also when LeBron needs a little bit of breath or he's trying to, you know, trying to conserve some energy, now let Russ kind of run and handle that squad. So in Rondo as well, we get Rondo and his contribution to that squad. Losing Dwight Rondo and Danny Green, I think was a lot bigger of a deal than the Lakers fans wanted to admit. We thought we were just going to replace them and keep it pushing. But these guys are brilliant, and they elevate their games in the postseason. Rondo in the postseason playoff, Rondo is a thing. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I think all these guys are going to work together. Even a guy like Melo, who's traditionally had a reputation, which he probably didn't deserve, but for being a certain type of way and, and jacking up shots or whatever, even he's coming in, understanding what his role is. And, and all these guys, you know, they want to win a ring. You know, LeBron's got four of those things. AD's got one. Rondo's got them from the Celtics and Lakers. Like, they want to – now go ahead and get that ring. So a guy like Russ who's been in the league now several years, like I'm trying to get that ring now. Like, I've done everything. I've averaged triple doubles for four seasons, okay. you know, won an MVP. All that stuff is great, but nothing nothing compares to drinking that champagne and right. smoking cigars in the locker room after hoisting up a championship better. So I guess I've got a couple of more questions for you. And just looking at your Twitter timeline, I want to talk about your involvement with the Dunk League. Um, I watched the first episode today, and I'm a big fan of dunks. I love dunks. And I think – you know, TNT had a dunk series and then, you know, this YouTube series as well. I think this is fantastic. Can you kind of go over your involvement with this? Oh, you know, I'm just linking up with those guys to, to help them get the word out. Obviously, like yourself, I'm a big fan of dunks as well. So I think, too, when you look at the world of dunking, right, NBA guys are at a certain level, but there's a lot of guys who, who haven't made the league. And dunking is kind of that one thing where if you got the boosty, and I've seen a lot better dunkers that haven't made the league than I've seen in the league. So to be able to see these guys have an opportunity to make some bread, go up against each other and, you know, show off some some crazy stuff and really take dunking to another level. Just to be real, like the dunk contest at the NBA level, it's been tough the past, the past few years. Obviously, Aaron Gordon and other guys have added some excitement to it, but it doesn't have the same mystique and feel of yesteryear when guys like Jordan and Dominique and Spud Webb and these type of guys, Vince Carter, doing all types of insane, crazy stuff. Like those were primetime viewing. feel like it kind of had a little Blake Griffin helped bring it back a little bit. But now this is an opportunity for guys who aren't in the league to get some bread, show off their skills. So I, mean, I think it's a tremendous thing and a, a tremendous opportunity that those guys have to, to be able to go out there and get their dunk on. So before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you about your latest project. You're involved um, with Colin Kaepernick. You're a writer and producer. Colin in black and white. I saw a teaser clip. It looks incredible. Can you kind of go over how you got involved with this and what viewers can expect? Because I think this is going to be fantastic for people checking out Netflix. Uh, first off, you're absolutely right. Uh, having just you know, been able to work on first foremost, shout out to Ava DuVernay, who gave me an opportunity to be a part of it, Colin Kaepernick as well. And uh, I got involved in the project through Michael Starberry, who's a good friend of mine and uh, was a co-creator of Legends of Chamberlain Heights with me. For my money, the best writer in the game. He worked with Ava on When the Hiss, we were Emmy nominated. Uh, so, you know, he told me about this project a few years ago. And it, it, it's, it's crazy, man, because I remember in 2016 when it first happened, I really just respected Colin so much for what he was what he was willing to sacrifice that we actually went to a comedy central at an Emmy's party. So I came there. I'm a Raiders fan. I came there in a Kaepernick Jersey just to show support with him. And this was five years ago. So to see all the stuff that he was protesting five years ago and how the world has changed so dramatically over those five years. And a lot of the same people that told him he was disrespecting the military and disrespecting the police and disrespecting this and disrespecting that. Now, suddenly when, when their presidential candidate win an election fair and square, you know, they get in their feelings and now they're disrespecting the police. 
police and they're disrespecting veterans and they're disrespecting black people and just just all that go on and how it's just kind of you know the you know everything is kind of played out it's been super crazy but to get the opportunity to sit with colin to work with him and really just understand the story i think a lot of people don't realize what Colin went through to become a quarterback in college in the NFL and how much just being a quarterback meant to him and means to him still and how hard he's been working still just trying to get his dream and, and to see the situation where anybody losing their job over protesting stuff peacefully, you know, he didn't, he didn't storm a Capitol, you know what I'm saying? He didn't, <laughs> he didn't go crazy in the streets. He literally just took, took a knee peacefully trying to raise awareness uh, was actually, I think taught, he, he was convinced to do that by somebody in the service industry, a teammate of his, who said that this would be a way, this would be a way to do this. So just to see the way that he was vilified and the way he was treated uh, by this American society has been super disappointing. But I think people are really going to appreciate to understand Colin's story, how he grew up and just how hard he worked to put himself in the position he's in. So I'm super thankful and, and, and grateful for the opportunity. Thankful for Ava, thankful for Colin, thankful for Michael Starberry for, for believing in me and letting me participate on the show. We got in a tremendous writing staff as well. Uh, Terry Schaefer, Raynell Swilling, Evan Ball, Natasha Trotter, and the, the rest of the team uh, did all amazing work. So just being in that room and being around just such incredibly talented human beings, talented black people in the entertainment industry, which for a lot of people who don't know, there's definitely a shortage. And it's not for lack of, of resources and talent just because that's the situations we deal with. But to have a room, and I, I really credit Ava just on being able to to give people like myself and marginalized people the opportunity to really cook and show their skills. And that's the one thing about Array and her company and everything that she does. Like she is, uh, you know, an A1 human being, but just to be around her and just that she has this aura around her, this glow of just amazingness, but you got to bring it. She works hard. She demands a lot from the people that she works with. And that's why she's so successful. So she's a fellow UCLA like myself as well. So I can't, you know, every time people ask me this question, I got to make sure to have as much love as possible because so appreciative of opportunity. And without her and Starby, I would have never got the chance to work on a project like this. But now because of them, I'll get the chance to work on projects like this down the road and being able to prove myself and show what I'm capable of. Josiah, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Please, if people don't know, please let them know where they can find you on social media and anything else you want to plug as well. Thank you. I ain't hard to find King Josiah 54 on Twitter and IG. Feel free. You know, look, I'm, I'm a very, very respectful human being. So if you come, for me, come to me respectfully, I'll definitely, you know, love trying to help people out. Love talking social entertainment, other type of stuff. And wish everybody the best, man. I appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to come on this pod and, you know, just getting to talk with you, man. The questions were great. Had a good time. See that Lobos in the background. Shout out to New Mexico yeah. and everything yeah, going on sure. out there. <laughs> Coop Camp, Michael Cooper. I uh, used sure. to do some time. We were talking before the show, but I spent some yeah. time in Albuquerque as a kid. Uh, you know, hanging out up there, going to Coop Camp. And I really, I think it's funny that I see that Lobos in the background. It reminds me of Coop, but Coop was so instrumental in my life and teaching me to never be satisfied and all these other maxims that he had at the camp that really stuck with me as a kid and just made me the person I am today. So shout out to that. I feel like, you know, when I, when I see that, I, you know, I hit you on that right away. So I'm like, oh, this, this looks, for, you know, I, that logo before. But <laughs> appreciate you having me on the show, man. And hopefully we can do it again soon. For sure. Appreciate it, Josiah. Thank you very much.